The Apostle Paul never saw the Lord Jesus in the flesh. And perhaps this is why he is so unpopular among those who prefer to reinvent the wheel and mold and model Christianity to suit their own tastes. Why, thy, why those folks tend to give Paul such short shrift. After all, Paul wasn't one of the twelve. He hadn't been there to witness when they crucified our Lord, when they nailed him to the cross, nor when they laid him in the tomb. He was not even there when the stone was rolled away. All Paul had was a vision of Christ he'd received on the road to Damascus. It's actually a voice, the voice of Christ that he heard on the road to Damascus. It was a reprimand. How special. A reprimand from Jesus. And that's what he had. And then, of course, there was that seemingly inexplicable confidence of Ananias, a disciple at the Syrian capital, who had gone and told Paul that Jesus had called him, Paul, to be a chosen instrument. And somehow Paul got the idea that this gave him a whole lot of authority. This man who had been a zealous persecutor of those trying to follow Christ's way, this man began to share that very gospel with many. Fine. Great. What a score for the Jesus team. But this Paul, this upstart, this latecomer, who had never beheld our Lord in the flesh, starting tell, started telling others how to follow Christ rightly. Yes, Paul may have planted the church in Corinth, but can you blame the Corinthians for reevaluating Paul's teaching, for listening to newcomers who also declared that they were sharing the good news of Christ, and had, in all likelihood, seemingly less dubious pedigrees. Teachers who could point to something other than what Paul had experienced in being forgiven, in having the scales fall from his eyes, and in that ongoing process of recognizing just how much he was to suffer on account of Jesus' name. And maybe, just maybe, the Corinthians falling for these false teachers was just another trial for the Apostle Paul to endure, another way for him to suffer as he watched believers he cared about stray from the faith towards some superficial and counterfeit gospel. But Paul, Paul won't give up on them. He won't use such a self-serving excuse. Paul refused to let go of the people he'd met in Corinth, that hard, scrabble, seafaring town with its tough sailors and wealthy merchants and the attendant women and, and men who made a living fulfilling their baser desires. Corinth, a city of thieves and adulterers, revilers and drunks, con men and hucksters. And such were some of you, Paul had written the first time he wrote the church there. 
Such were some of you before. Before they changed. Before they became something else to Paul. And yet often they persisted in behaving just as before. And so Paul wrote them. He wrote them once and now twice, directing them and imploring them to follow the ways of righteousness. Give it up, Paul. It's Corinth. What do you expect, you self-appointed missionary to Vegas? Once a Corinthian, always a Corinthian. Just cut your losses and go worry about the folks at Philippi or the fancy-pants people in that university town of Tarsus where you're from. You're just a good Jewish boy, Paul, way out of your league. You're naive. Take a hard look at the sort of people you're dealing with. Nevertheless, Paul writes in today's passage from 2 Corinthians, we Christians regard no one according to the flesh. It's a strong and idealistic claim, but in a sense, it's not even his most audacious. Paul, the persecutor, the latecomer, the maybe apostle, declares, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. How dare he? How dare Paul say that? Paul may have regarded Christ as just another radical, just another man whose disobedient and dangerous followers had to be ferreted out and punished. But we, we, in our righteousness, we regard Jesus as God. It's what we've been told. It's what we rightly believe. So don't drag us into your failings, Paul. But Paul does. A man who never saw Jesus in the flesh admits to having regarded him according to the flesh. You see, regarding Christ according to the flesh is not about seeing his bodily substance. Rather, regarding Christ according to the flesh is about allowing our fallen, fleshly humanity to limit the scope of our vision to the extent that we overlook the divine implications of his life. Oh yes, oh yes, this is good, we say. The Bible makes those implications abundantly clear. Jesus Christ died for me. For my sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that I might become the righteousness of God. But if we listen carefully to what Paul is saying here, I think we might hear him say, not quite. How quick you and I are to repeat the Corinthians' mistake. For us to think to ourselves, as long as I've sorted out the drama between God and myself, for myself, I'm in the clear. What a fleshly way to regard our Lord. What a fleshly way 
to regard our world, to put ourselves at the center, to see just one relationship, the relationship that gets us eternal life, that gets me eternal life, rather than seeing that in my neighbor. We don't have much trouble regarding Christ as permanent, seeing him as somehow forever alive and there. It's easy for us because we know Jesus to be God. Of course God is permanent. Perhaps this is why Paul asserts so clearly that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. Christ's passion and resurrection is not meant as a simple demonstration of the power of God to conquer death for himself alone. It's much more. It's the reconciliation of God and man, of God overcoming the power of sin for us. And through Jesus' reconciling work on the cross, Jesus receives eternal life, and so do we. Jesus Christ lives eternally, and so shall I. We declare that comfortably enough. And yet, the rub, the thing we have so much trouble with, is the permanence of others. It's simply so easy to regard others according to the flesh. Other people can be so tiresome, so difficult, so dishonest, so insensitive, the list goes on. And so we treat others as temporary features of our lives that are like sort of side characters worth treasuring and cultivating only so long as it's convenient. But you know, the Corinthians, the Corinthians were anything but convenient for Paul. They were anything but convenient, period. Yet Paul would not let the Corinthians go. And so he wrote them. And he says, almost as much to us as he said to them, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We might rephrase these words. All who are in Christ are made permanent. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, Paul writes. When Paul last wrote the Corinthians, he reminded them that what they had been didn't matter. Because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Evidently, the Corinthians were not made perfect people through this deed. But for Paul, they were made something more. They were given eternal life. They were made permanent to him.
thank God for calling Paul, a man with so few qualifications other than a persistent love, spurred on by a vision of his fellow man that was anything but fleshly. And Paul wrote, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Life. Life can seem so fleeting and exhausting. People can seem so darn annoying. And those we love can leave us wishing we could write their problems out of our lives. That we could say, they're justified, they're perfect. And indeed, sometimes the problems of those we love become so great that we find ourselves wishing that they wouldn't even be in our story any longer. And we're torn. We want to love our neighbor. And yet, it's just so difficult. It's just so hard. It seems like such a waste of time. And yet, Paul's example gives us permission. It gives us permission to care to find treasures in the people who simultaneously annoy and delight us. And setting aside our fleshly regard for them frees us to come to them as reconcilers, to come to them with forgiveness, not conditionally given, but already earned by God and freely given by him alone. But the best part of this news, the best part of this word that Paul shares in this passage is because if we look honestly enough at ourselves, we know that we too are Corinthians. We too can drive our brothers and sisters in Christ to despair. We too slip backwards into the lives we're trying to leave behind. Nevertheless, you and I, we in this place, the whole church, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation to declare that forgiveness given to us by God, to go out and love and be loved despite our own failings. No matter what our fleshly doubts may suggest, God will never give up on us. And I pray that we might find in that knowledge the strength never to give up on each other. Amen.